Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A blazing fire under the body of the nitro-powered Toyota Camry of Alexis DeJuria, and this is as bad a fire as you're ever going to see. On this episode, we're joined by Ron Caps and Marco Perry Valaris, the Super Comp winner from Sonoma. Erica Anders is your 2020 Pro Stock World Champion in stunning fashion. Caps is chasing the points, and Perry Valaris is racing from his heart. Scotty's out on Andrew at 1,000 feet. It's Scotty Polacek for the first time in his career. This is the NHRA Insider. Tony Schumacher! Wow, what an appropriate way to end this one. 28 thousandths at the strike. An instant classic final round. Hey everybody, welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Brian Loans, as we are just uh, very quickly between races here. The NHRA Western Swing, two-thirds done now with Denver and Sonoma in the bag, and that means we are going to be going into Pomona. And of course, we have a lot of storylines to talk about, a lot of people and things to talk about. Steve Torrance being the biggest one, as he is the last remaining racer that can actually sweep the Western Swing, something that no one has done in the top field category since Antron Brown last did it over a decade ago in 2009. Sonoma was a fantastic race by any measure. We had great crowds all three days. We had killer competition in every category. Karen Stouffer wins in Pro Stock Motorcycle. Aaron Stanfield wins in Pro Stock Car. Of course, Robert Height wins in Nitro Funny Car. And in Top Fuel, Steve Torrance beats a resurgent and a very strong-looking Leah Pruitt in the final round. We're going to see if any or all of those competitors can keep some of that action rolling as we head to the NHRA Winter Nationals this weekend. And yes, I know it's going to be August, but it is the Winter Nationals. And if you've not gotten tickets yet, you're in Southern California, please get them. NHRA.com is your spot. Qualifying at night on Friday night and Saturday night. We're going to race, of course, at the normal time on Sunday. It is going to be one of the most unpredictable difficult events of the season for our team certainly for everybody involved because we're going to have great cool evening air for qualifying all three sessions and then Sunday it is going to be likely the hottest version of the Pomona race surface anybody has been on in 20 years because back in 2001 the NHRA ran the 50th anniversary nationals at Pomona uh, in late July early August or in this July time frame I should say and they saw temperatures like we're going to see about 90 degrees ambient Racetrack is going to be very hot. It is going to be a uh, an interesting weekend. How do these teams negotiate both ends of this spectrum? How do they make most or most uh, of the evening qualifying sessions, and then how do they translate anything they've learned of those evening sessions onto race day? First round could be upset city. Once again, we have a bunch of independent Nitro Funny Car teams that will be racing with us this weekend in terms of the Nitro Funny Car car count. I believe they're going to be eighteen on the grounds top fuel i think we're at 13 or 14 and you know looking forward through the rest of the year and and looking at potential car counts and where we're going to be and what's going on um projecting out if you will i looked at the entries pre-entries for basically every race from uh topeka forward which is the race that will that will follow pomona and we should be full in both categories all the way through the end of the year and it's been tough having these shorter fields on the uh, on the western swing we've gone out to the coast but it's a function of Obviously, several things economically, uh, people still trying to kind of get those, their stuff back together. A lot of people being conservative with their schedules, which I can respect, certainly. But, uh, man, the competition has been unbelievable. 
qualifying in, in Nitro Funny Car was fantastic at Sonoma. Lots of bumping, lots of crazy stuff going on as we went through that final session, and it made for very entertaining stuff. And just the amount of action we have seen across the board in categories like Pro Stock, of course, Greg Anderson, the, the guy we've all kind of been waiting to see this 97th win happen, and it keeps getting snatched from his grasp by racers like Erica Enders, by racers like Aaron Stanfield, and Stanfield, frankly, did it again to him in Sonoma when he beat Greg Anderson in the semifinal round. So uh, this story of, of Greg Anderson's 97th victory continues to linger. As much as John Force's 150th did, so is, is Greg Anderson's 97th. And obviously after John got 150, the other ones uh, came at a little bit quicker clip as he went on to win uh, Indy and, and just kind of really picked up the pace on, on several things on that front. So um, that pro stock angle is going to be very, very interesting to watch this weekend. And as we are on this racetrack that's very fast, certainly downhill. Um, it'll be the second of the two of the three Western Swing races that the Pro Stock category has been contested at. And then finally, Pro Stock Motorcycle and Funny Car. We're going to talk a lot about Funny Car with Ron Caps, but uh, Pro Stock Motorcycle, just um, uh, just so fun. I mean, th- this class is, continues to just continues to, to deliver up these winners. We see Matt Smith. We see Angie Smith. Those motorcycles absolutely seeming to dominate over the course of qualifying, over the course of their particular, uh, you know, qualifying runs, so to speak. But then when we get into eliminations, whether it's one thing or another, a whole shot or just getting outrun or a mechanical problem, there are no kind of give-me's in drag racing. And, and the Smith family, champions as they are, know that. And we have seen so many winners over the course of the last three seasons. Racers who have picked up one, racers who have picked up a handful, and uh, Karen Stouffer picking up her first win in nearly two years on that Suzuki that is part of the uh, White Alligator Racing Team with Tim Kalungian doing the tuning. We saw Jerry Savoie's bike, the other half of the, the White Alligator Racing Team, really pick up in Sonoma, looking for big things out of him in Pomona as well. In a top field dragster, of course, we have the story of Steve Torrance trying to make that sweep, as I mentioned earlier in the, uh, the beginning of the show, and... He has more and more competition, it seems. You know, we see different factors rise up against him. We see Antron Brown beat him earlier in the season, has not been able to achieve that level again. Leah Pruitt, her car running better than it has all season long, makes a final round, just wasn't quite good enough to get the job done in that final round against Steve. And that has really been the kind of MO for anybody that's raced Steve over the course of, I don't know, the last three years for the most part. Good, but not quite good enough. When you get into a situation where the conditions are amazing, it's a team that can run the huge ETs and in, in in speeds. When you get into a situation where the track isn't so great, they're able to back the car down and make solid runs. When you get into a situation where the driver needs to come up with a solution to the problem, Steve's been right there to answer the call. And in a conversation I had at Denver, actually, with a, uh, with a top field driver, we're talking about the Torrance uh, methodology, the Torrance success, what they're doing differently than everybody else. He said when he looked at the whole picture, he said, really, it is the most well-rounded kind of whole team out here, meaning that the driver, the crew, the crew chief, everybody involved has so much experience and so much level of comfort that they are they're not overexerting themselves to do what they're doing, and that's what makes them so difficult to beat. Other teams have to try to overexert themselves to beat them, whether that's mentally overexert themselves with tune-up decision-making, whether it's a driver tightening up a little bit at the starting line or going red or just simply getting up into their own head about trying to beat the team. Uh, it is like fighting a, a you know the eight-headed Hydra monster that um, 
you know, the, the Hercules deal because it just they come at you from so many different angles. It is not a team where you say, well, you know what, this car is going to run X, Y, Z elapsed time, but the driver is going to be late so I can get up a little there and maybe I can get on a hole shot. Or they're not going to say, well, this car typically runs very bad when the, the track temperature comes up. Or they say, well, this tra- this car typically can't hang when the track temperature is down and the air is really good. They cycle their parts. They work very well as a team. They have stuck together for years, and, and the math is very simple for Steve Torrance. The math right now for Steve Torrance is that he's already locked in the countdown, has a massive points lead. Uh, our understanding was that if he did not win Sonoma and Denver, he might have skipped over Pomona. But because he has won both of those races and this potential sweep is at his doorstep, um, he wants it, which you'd expect that he wanted it. His team wants it, as you'd expect they want it. So we'll find out if, if quite literally anybody can stop the Capco train when we get to Pomona. This is going to be a very interesting race. It is a it is very much a dual personality event with evening qualifying runs, and then, of course, the elimination day on Sunday promises to be Southern California summer hot. Now, now that we know all that stuff, we're going to get our first guest onto the show. You know him, you love him. He is the driver of the Napa Dodge, and he is currently slugging it out with a whole bunch of other funny car drivers to gain supremacy in this class. The driver of one of the most consistent cars in the category, Ron Caps. How you doing, Ron? I'm good. I'm first guest. Your first guest. You're hitting leadoff today. Who, who am I fluffing for? Mar, uh, Marco Perry Valaris, who won uh, the Super Comp category over the course of the weekend and uh, had a combined five-round reaction time total, adding all his reaction times up, 34. Wow. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, these those well, guys are those guys are killers, man. I'm glad I don't have to follow that, so thank you for putting me on first. <laughs> so, you know, it's been interesting, man. The last three races, it's it's one of these things where I, I think we can sit here and have the discussion that you've kind of had the best car. I mean, you've been to the semifinals three races in a row, which is more consistency than anybody's had. Obviously, you haven't lifted a trophy up yet, but, man, this thing is this thing is showing up and going rounds because of, obviously, what you're doing and what the team's doing. Yeah, we're racking up the camping world points, that's for sure. And, you know, that's all – fun and that's cool and you know i've told you and anybody in the media that's asked already a win is coming and hopefully several but and i'll trade any of these close races and and losses now for uh for countdown and later in the year but yeah, it's, it's just having a good time of course guido and medlin i mean that's that is the the, the infinite hero team from the past so th- we already knew that's a great car yeah. so i was just trying to plug in and 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 uh, and continue that for those guys, and it's so cool to get these uh, number one qualifiers. Because with Tobo, we weren't always a team that went up there and, and tried to snag a number one qualifier. He was he was all about Sunday and winning races and data and and uh, and so yeah, it's a little bit different. But uh, you know, it you just got to be patient. And I you know I hate losing more than anybody. I mean, it hurts my body to lose, but coming back to the pit area and patting the guys on the back and telling Guido Medlin just keep doing what they're doing I mean that's what it's all about right now yeah I mean I think what's interesting is the cars you know not doing anything dumb so to speak we watch the thing it's going down the racetrack it's very consistent and um when we talk about this particular time of the year and really like I think what you're fifth in points right now but you're only like you're only like two rounds out of second. Like it is insane. This log jam of, of guys that are kind of in the top five or six, it keeps it very exciting. Cause obviously in top fuel, Torrance has, has a runaway going on for himself, which he kind of has done every year for the last several. But on the funny car side, I think the biggest lead task I had over anybody was 50 points, and that's whittled down to 20. You're a handful of points behind who you need to, to catch up to. So that makes it fun for everybody because there's been a lot of kind of slicing and dicing up front. 
Yeah, and it's it's you know it's always going to be the usual suspects. We know that we're we're going to any matchup with with Proc and Height is going to be big. You know, of course Hagen and, and Venables are they're running good, but Alexis and Dell and you, uh, look at Cruz got a win in there. Jr. Todd's always going to be there. I mean, you just like you said, you go down and you start to mention a few, and then you're like, oh my god, I don't want to leave anybody yeah. out. Yeah, this because <laughs> it's in, it insults. Yeah, I feel like you're insulting somebody. Wilkerson, you never know what what he's going to do because he is one of the most consistent uh, tuner drivers. So, you know, like I said, it's usual suspects. And, and late in the day, you're going to see the heights like we did in the semifinals, and you're going to see teams like that. And that's what it's going to be all the way the rest of the year, and the fans expect that. So um, we knew it was going to be a tough matchup. It actually wore one of our clutch discs way more than it should have on that run against height. Uh, okay. We were going up to run 93 or so. Um, and we threw down the 92 first round in, you know, in the heat. So I felt like we had a good a, a car as anybody. And, um, again, went down the track, but it just wore too much clutch and little things like that are going to happen. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it right now. I really feel like we got some wins. We're going to, we're going to spurn together here, um, late in the year. Yeah. I mean, if you, you know, we can look at, uh, you know, your situation versus others and yeah, this frustration for not winning a race, but when you get to roll out of the gate every, basically every Sunday for the last almost month now saying we showed up, we went to the semis, we went to the semis, we went to the semis. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people out there that would, that would saw off a limb to be able to say that as opposed to kind of what they're trying to fight through. Um, when we go to Pomona this week, did you race? I mean, I'm guessing you did. You raced at the 2001 race, right? Because we're trying to figure out kind of who was there and who wasn't. Because the small amount of you that were the only ones that really kind of get what's about to happen this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you. In fact, I posted a little while ago a little clip of Hot Wheels that uh, I broke out an old Hot Wheels set, <laughs> the Snake of the Mongoose, when I was a kid. Because <laughs> this weekend is epic. I mean, it's in a lot of ways. Obviously, it was a, it was it's celebrating a lot of history which we were going to be doing back in February and now to do it as a summer nationals instead of winter nationals. And I don't know who pulled it off, whether it was, you know, Glenn and the guys at NHRA with, uh, with the local people there, but to be able to race both Friday and Saturday under the lights, um, is going to be pretty cool for a lot of dry racing fans that, that remember that's what it was all about back in the day. So I was at that race. It was hot. I do remember that we didn't get to race at night like this, uh, back at that race. And, um, and it packed the place. That's all I remember is just unbelievable amount of people. And so, yeah, I understand. And trust me, I started to kind of clear a spot off on the mantle here next to my March meet trophy, <laughs> hoping, <laughs> hoping to stick this, uh, this historic, uh, Wally this weekend, um, up there. And this is going to be one that, you know, this is like, you're going to, to me, it's going to be the most whole test of our teams in terms of, you're almost going to have to have two race cars. You're going to have to you're going to have to have the race car that's capable of uh, what would probably be 70 to 75 degree nice dry air in the evenings for qualifying, and then you're going to have to have the race car that somehow manages to run down the same racetrack when it's 95 degrees on Sunday afternoon. So, from your experience, whether it's from the seat or even just over the course of a weekend, you know, with your crew, how difficult is that a switch to flip going from really knowing that if I'm going to do anything in these qualifying sessions, I have to be super aggressive. And then knowing if I'm going to do anything on eliminations day, I probably can't be. Well, that's the Napa. No, I always brag about my crew chiefs. I mean, that's what you have to. And like you said, you, you sort of do have to have two cars, but we're going to have to use that four o'clock session on Saturday for a race day, um, approach because it's a 10 a.m. starts that on Sunday. Yeah. 
but with the heat, um, you never know what the temperature will be. And, and we sort of got a taste of that in Norwalk, a little bit of a really hot racetrack surface. Um, I think we can go back and Guido and, and Medlin can, can look at some of that data. But again, like you said, those are the two hero shots, um, on Friday night, and Saturday night. And I, I think, I think using those, uh, you know, to try to steal the pole, of course, but as hot as it's going to be during the day, I think, there's a chance it may not be as cool as we think it will be. However, this is one of the fastest it's racetracks we go to downhill. Yeah. It's incredibly short shutdown. So you've got to be on your game, getting the car stopped. Um, and it's going to be at night. So you throw that all together and it just, it reminds you of the season ending finals where it always goes right into the night for the final round. And, um, God, it's going to be it's making hair on my neck stand up right now just thinking about it. <laughs> and on the on the shutdown area and the the places you know everybody knows that it is uh it is a place that does not uh, suffer mistakes at all on that on that end of the racetrack. So, is it better for for you to be coming in at this time of the year, having had a lot more laps under your belt? Not that you need them, but I mean, just in terms of understanding, you know, what I got to do here versus kind of coming out cold on that racetrack in the in the winter typically. No, I mean, you know, I've been doing this long enough that, yeah. you know, I know the approach, I know what we got to do. And, you know, physically I've had to change a lot of things, driving style for, for Guido and Medlin in this race car this year. And honestly, I'm just starting to get comfortable with it. And, um, I know that sounds weird, but it's just for something you've done for 20 something years and, and you change, um, it, it's taken a little bit for me to get super comfortable. So I'm just getting, um, I, it's fun to roll up and know that you got a car that's going to blast for a chance at the pole. You know what I mean? Yeah. On a, on a, on a night run. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, uh, I, I think I'm approaching this race so much different as a driver. And I talked to J.R. Todd in Sonoma. It's the same kind of thing We're uh, you know, you're, it's going to be 10 AM early start on Sunday. And that could be the quickest run of the weekend, believe it or not, with the cool conditions in the morning. So, it's going to be typical Pomona where it's going to be, you don't know what's going to happen. You, you guys up in the tower are going to be going, Oh my God, because it, there's a chance that there could be cars qualifying that you'd never expect to qualify and vice versa. So Sunday is going to be uh, it's going to be crazy Sunday morning. It is. And you know, one of the things I, I wanted to talk to you about too, and you just really brought it up is the fact that, you know, we have so many independent top fuel teams that are like in the center of the country and East, but we have this dedicated, little enclave of this like half dozen nitro funny car teams in california which basically all these guys came up from the nostalgia nitro funny car ranks and it was really cool i mean the final session of qualifying in funny car at sonoma was freaking awesome like the amount of bumping and craziness that happened in that session was like we need this every single race yeah and i listen i've been saying it for years the nostalgia scene is it's a perfect feeder for what we do those cars are baby uh, camping world nitro funny cars. And so it's cool. Jason Rupert, who's a good friend. I'm, I'm really cheering that team on. Actually, my, my old crew chief, Ron Tobler is going to be helping this weekend. So it's going to be nice. kind of cool to see him up there. It's going to be weird not seeing him in, in a uniform that matches mine, but, um, but yeah, Alex, I mean, Alex getting up and talking about meeting the fans back at his trailer and doing a shot <laughs> after final class. You know, I wanted to do an interview and say, hey, I'm bringing the tequila with me. I want to do a shot with him. I mean, just it was so much fun, like you said, to sit in a tow vehicle and listen to everybody getting bumped in, bumped out, J.R. Todd out, John Forrest out, and all these these part-timers going up there and throwing shots. So 
um, the conditions this weekend are going to warrant a little better chance for these other teams, whether, you know, Sonoma was a little hotter and trickier. So I think we're going to see even crazier stuff this weekend with, uh, some of those teams, but yeah, a lot of these guys, it was fun in the staging days. I felt like I was at the March meet, uh, looking around and seeing some of these teams. <laughs> yeah, it was great. And you know, um, uh, Jason, they all, and the neat thing is all these guys have their own story, but I'm, I'm, you know, particularly fond of Jason Rupert's story and a multi-generational guy and, and certainly somebody who's been successful across the board. And, you know, I think the one thing that, that I really kind of endears me to all these independent guys that we had last week and the several that we'll have this week is, these guys are humble in a very cool way. Like there, there is a confidence here. Like Alex Milodinovich knows he he doesn't have a billion dollar budget, but he also knows he does have enough stuff to qualify, and he and he does have enough knowledge to to get that car where he believes it can qualify and it should. And I think that that's what's really cool. This is not somebody who's just showing up, running their mouth, and then blowing the rods out all over the racetrack. Like this is a car that with a little bit of work and a little bit of here and there is going to be, if not competitive, certainly a qualifying level car. Yeah. And I was growing up. I love Jim Dunn because I would cheer for the underdog. And of course he said, look, I don't have a trailer full of the best parts, but I've got the best parts on for this particular run against the big shot guys. So yeah, but Brian, the best part about all these guys you mentioned is the paint schemes because oh, yeah. there's it, none of it's real corporate. It's yep. a complete throwback, which is perfect for this weekend. Um, every car has a name on it. It's all painted. One, one of them was like candy, apple green. Oh man. Yeah. Um, Chris car. yeah. 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 I mean, just you go down the list of all these part timers and that I think is probably the coolest thing. And it, it sort of meets up with what, you know, this race is all about and the history, you know, the hi- historic, uh, you know, Pomona oh, absolutely. under the lights. It's going to be pretty cool. We were joking about Morel's car on the on the TV show that, you know, all these guys, everybody's all concerned about the weight of their funny car bodies, and he has 300 pounds of metal flake in that thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that thing looks awesome. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, uh, just kind of quickly reverting back to Denver, is uh, we had interviewed you after one of your runs, and and you had said you'd felt something, almost felt something in the steering on the way down to the staging lanes. And I know that's something that you've always prided yourself with when you were with Tobler, when a car was, okay, when it was time to either front half a car or make a change you know, in the steering system, you were never shy about saying, now's the time to do this. What is it that you feel occasionally in there? Is it a tightness or, or looseness? What is it that kind of gets your attention, I guess? Even just towing well, the it, it wasn't steering. I actually had a steering issue one time with Tobler, and I told him it, it ended up being a steering box had something locked up in it. And ironically, we were at Pomona one year, and it was a night run, and we needed to step up, and he wouldn't let me make the run. And I said, it only sticks when I turn a little bit, little bit to the left. And he's like, are you nuts? And I go, just get out of the way. Let me make the run. <laughs> but um, no, what I felt going down in Denver turned out to be in the bell housing, and it was just this freak thing. I was still in this clunk, and I thought it was a rear end that was breaking. And Guido knew immediately, and that's the experience he has from working with Austin Coyle all these years. Um, and it just was a correlation of the way the downhill was in the staging lanes, the way that the clutch was set up, leaving the pit area, and it just where it sat. Okay. And he knew to turn the motor over a little bit, but what I was feeling, I thought for sure it was a ring and pinion problem and a piece had broken off on the ring gear because it was that bad. And I could feel it in my butt and my feet in the chassis. So that was a huge oil down going on. So we're freaking out, trying to figure out what it was. And sure enough, Guido came up with it. So uh, that, that was the whole issue. Yeah, that's something. And I guess that the, the next question is, would you have made the hit? If he, if he, oh, yeah. if he I did, told yeah, him, yeah. 
Yeah, I told Guido, I said, hey, listen, we'll figure it out later. He said, well, whatever it is, we're in. I said, just let's make the run. If it, you know, and looking back, you're like, what a dummy. But at the time, you just, you don't even think about it. You're like, worst case scenario goes out and it does something. And, yeah. Um, hopefully you don't get hurt. But uh, yeah, it's all about making the run. Man. So one last question before I let you go, because I know you guys are uh, cruising with the family down the uh, down the California, if not down the coast, certainly down the state. Um, the weekend or the week after Pomona, I'm going to the Nightfire Nationals in Boise, Idaho. Have you ever raced at that event? That was actually my first race ever. Um, one of my favorite racetracks. Uh, this year I'm going to Night Under Fire at Norwalk, but I was scheduled to go there before they booked me in. And it's a huge race. I saw the press release that you're going to be there. Dude, you're going to have so much fun, and the family, the new family, that uh, the family that owns that racetrack is the coolest, and it's one of the coolest racetracks that you'll go to, and you've been to a lot, so I'm jealous, but I certainly want to hear from you in Topeka what you thought. Yeah, man, I'm excited, and uh, just uh, the like you said, the family's first class. I wanted to go to this racetrack for, for years and years, so I was super excited when they gave me the invite, and I've been touching base with a lot of people who have been there and raced at that event over the years in various capacities, and they all say the same thing you did, which is places maintained unbelievably, the fan base is crazy, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, but it's going to be a lot of fun this weekend, too. I think people I think people don't quite know what they're in for yet, and it's going to be spectacular Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday at uh, at Pomona. Yeah, like Sonoma, I mean, it was it was literally uh, sold out. They didn't announce it, but um, it was cool to have the fans back, and I, I'm looking for the same thing here in Pomona. I think people are chomping at the bit. I know a lot of people are flying in from all over the, the country for this race. So, um, yeah, not only are they missing their drag racing in, in Southern California, but – I think they're going to show us by showing up uh, Friday night, Saturday night, and then Sunday. I agree, and this is uh, as you mentioned. This is the only time in my uh, in my career that I've ever been told, "Don't say the word sellout," <laughs> ever. <laughs> <laughs> but if you haven't got your tickets and you're listening, you better go get them right now. Amen to that, Ron Caps, man. Congratulations on the recent success. Hoping to see you uh, hoist a Wally, and it'd be great to see you do it in Southern California. Yeah, man. Appreciate it, Brian. Thanks, Ron. See ya. Always love catching up with Ron Caps. It's a fantastic conversation, certainly getting his perspective on things and uh, really like his outlook on this upcoming Pomona race this weekend. He has great perspective both on the kind of modern history and the overall history of the funny car scene, especially as a guy who grew up in Southern California, just absolutely uh, enamored with the entire program. And to be able to race under the lights in SoCal is going to be very special for him. A guy who had an incredibly special weekend, a weekend that is uh, one we're going to talk about in great depth here, is Marco Perry Valaris. He is the winner of Super Comp Eliminator at Sonoma Raceway. We talked a lot at Sonoma Raceway about Kyle Seipel. We talked about his impact not only in the racetrack or Division 7, but really on racers across the country, the massive amount of fans and really kind of racing family he developed over the years. Marco being part of that racing family, and I know that he was racing with Kyle in his heart and certainly in his mind and really uh, judging by the performance he put in, in his soul. We're going to talk about all those things right now with our second guest, your Super Comp winner from Sonoma, Marco Perry Valaris. Marco, how you doing? I'm good, Brian. How about yourself? I'm doing great, man. And um, this was um, this was an incredible weekend for so many sportsman racers that knew and loved Kyle Seipel, a, a guy that uh, that you've been very close with for many years, works and worked with, of course, at the the Spring Fling or the Fling series of bracket races. So, I guess before we get into your performance on Sunday to grab your fifth national event, Wally, what was your mentality pulling in the gate when you guys were even just getting the, getting the truck parked and getting your pit set up? Well, pulling into the gate. 
we haven't been able to do a whole lot of racing this year. I mean, between working at the flings, um, continuing the business, especially after my mom passed away in February, it's just been a really tough time as a family this year. So I was just looking forward to getting the opportunity to race period. And the fact that there's no bracket races and there was no divisional at our home track, it was just so special to be able to race at our home track, Sonoma Raceway, and was just grateful for the opportunity more than anything else. And this is an opportunity that you took uh, full advantage of. When we look at the race day performance or the race couple days performance is one thing, but take me through your time runs. I mean, when I look at what you did over the course of your elimination runs, which we'll talk about, it is it is stunning. But how was the car in terms of getting it set up? Because you said you haven't really been to that racetrack at all this year so far. Well, uh, comparing previous data that we've had in the past, not everything was the same on both cars. So going into the first time trial of both, it was a little bit of a guessing game in some ways. But by the time we finished up with time trials between um, gathering the data and my dad tuning on the cars intensely, um, you know, suspension and how we set up the throttle stop and everything else involved in the equation. Without my dad and Lella's help, I mean, just getting the cars working well by the third time trial made all the difference in the world. So I'm just really thankful that they went all in on trying to make the best decisions possible. We all did as a family, so... And that's a great element of of how you race and how you have always raced, which is as a very family oriented operation. And and you know, I think it speaks again to to Kyle, which I'm going to kind of keep going back to here. And and that's really how he raced as well. Obviously, his mom Georgia had a great role at the racetrack, a racer. His dad Ted was competing still this weekend. And when you're getting ready for round one, or you're getting ready over the course of the weekend, even sitting in the staging lanes, uh, kind of how often was Kyle either on your mind or just kind of floating through your thoughts? Well, Kyle accurately was on my mind by the time i would unplug the battery charger get in the car fired up leave the pit make the run and analyzing the data you know we're it's pretty intense as far as you know just trying to look at every little detail but as far as making the run itself an answer to your question brian i was thinking about kyle pretty much the whole time i was thinking about kyle and my mom and just thinking about all these things that popped up over the years, just any situation, I just think about what would they have said. And it just seemed like for every thought I had in my mind, anything that was questionable, whether it was a positive or a negative thought, using their influence and thinking about what they would have said was just so motivating all the way around. And obviously those thoughts uh, in your mental preparation certainly worked out okay because when we look at your race day performance, I'm just going to read your reaction times first, and we'll talk about the other stuff next. But round one, you were perfect. Round two, you're 004. Round three, you're 005. Round four, I don't know what happened. You were 13. <laughs> and round five, you were 12. And in the final, you were 16. So that is incredible. That is a that is a six round combination of 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 accuracy that is just phenomenal, man. Well, just having confidence in the car with how well my dad tuned on it and how well Lella was dialing it, all I really had was 
you know, one job, and that was just to go up to the starting line, just focus on the tree and try and hit our marks and just make the right decision at the top end based on what Lowell and I had talked about for a game plan the previous, um, whether it was in the pits or in the staging lanes right before we roll into the water. So just being able to work with them so closely. And like I was saying, them being just all in on giving it everything they had this weekend, it just, it gave me a lot of confidence. And let's talk a little bit about the game plan aspect of this because it's something that I think a lot of listeners to this show that that, that listen and, and understand Heads Up Racing maybe don't get this element of, of an index style of competition, especially at this level. When you say game plan, you're actually, and I'm going to guess here, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you're looking at who your opponent's going to be. And, I mean, I'm, a lot of guys will look back and see what they've done over the last few rounds. Is this a person who is, uh, you know, on the breaks at the finish line? Is this someone who's kind of running it, you know, tight to the index? What what is, the, what is the information you look at or that you converse with your sister about before actually putting your visor down and going to work? So the way we like to do it is we like to take into account of all the factors, whether it's track prep, weather conditions. Opponent is a little bit of it because everybody has their own ways that they race in certain situations. But in the big picture, you know, we just take the track conditions, the weather conditions, and how well the car's repeating throughout the weekend and just think about how tight we want to make it, what risks we have to take with the throttle stop timers to, you know, try and get as close as possible to the 890 number. And what you did there, of course, working with your dad and your sister was uh, was pretty magical as well if we talk about 889-9 round one. 9292 88-7 round 3 dead on 1 round 4 dead on 5 dead on 6 round 5 and then your 896 in the final for the win the two runs the E4 and E5 when you're dead on 1 and dead on 6 um talk to me about those two runs specifically in terms of did you make obviously made some minute mechanical changes as the uh, the environment presented itself but you in the driver's seat would did you attack the finish line the same way that on both of those runs well, pretty much throughout the day, when you get so many runs back to back to back, all within each other, especially before the pros even run, I got to say, you know, as the rounds were going through, Lella just never stopped. She kept crunching numbers, and I don't, I mean, she sat down, but she didn't <laughs> sit down without looking at the weather, <laughs> looking at what the car was doing. She was just on it. You know, she always brings that mentality to the track, but this weekend she gave it 110%. So I attribute it all to Lala. It, uh, it's an amazing thing. And, and again, I think this this element that you're bringing in to, that people don't get is the fact that this really is at every level a team sport. And, um, I think we look at anybody who is successful in index racing or, or stock, super stock, you pick a category, uh, there is always a second set of hands or a third set of hands involved because there is an overwhelming amount of work that needs to get done to have a car that is just, in the first place, competitive, and then you take it, really, you have to get to the next level to have a race-winning car and a race-winning driver, and I feel like a lot of the times the race-winning drivers do have a great support system around them. At the end of the day, you still have to execute, but when you're able to execute by not having to do everything else as well, it certainly has to help your program. 
Absolutely, it does. And like I was saying, it's very important to have people as dedicated or more dedicated than you around you. And that's the way it's been from the very start. I have not been to a racetrack since I started racing with my streetcar back in high school without Lella dialing me and whether I'm driving somebody else's car or our own car, you know, my dad is constantly trying to do whatever it takes to maximize the potential and the consistency of whatever it is that I'm driving. Yeah. I, I, um, I love that aspect of, of the way that, uh, that your family races. And, you know, I, I just, I, I keep looking back at the statistics from race day and, and, you know, there was a lot of racers at Sonoma Raceway that were racing kind of with Kyle on their shoulder, in their heart. He was, I think, a, a big piece of a lot of sportsman drag racers' days. But I can't help but, but imagine him looking at your, what you did on Sunday and just having that trademarked Kyle Seipel grin on his face. Because, I mean, this is the way... This is the way that guy, when he would get on a streak, this is what it looked like when he was doing it to people. So I know wherever he was looking from, he was enjoying your day. Well, there's just so many stories that I can think of just being around Kyle. Kyle was the big brother that I never had, and Peter Biondo as well. So those two in drag racing are definitely my heroes, and just being able to see them put it together before and on race day with just so much passion and so much heart just all the way around just being fortunate enough to kind of be on the sidelines of that a little bit. Um, it just is so special and I just attribute it to their influence and more importantly throughout it all, my mom was, you know, our number one fan and she just, I mean, when it came to supporting the three of us, you know, dad and Lala and I, Um, She just loved everything about the sport, you know, loved being at the track with us. So the most emotional part for me about it, in addition to Kyle, was just thinking about the fact that I just, I hope mom would be proud and um, her and Kyle were definitely riding with me in every step of the way. What was the first thing that uh, that you said to your dad or to Lola when you uh, when you won the final round when you when you first saw them? Can you believe it? <laughs> yeah, I mean it had to have been that had to have been a very emotional moment for the three of you. Absolutely, I can't recall a more overwhelmingly emotional moment you know, from the time the final round was over to hugging dad and Lella right after in front of the grandstands there and just seeing all the fans in the stands, just having a great time all being out there together. You really just can't put it into words and it just, it all makes it that much more special. It does. And, you know, the icing on the cake of course is about 2,500 miles to your East, uh, the guy you just mentioned, Peter Biondo, was getting a Wally of his own. I mean, it's just a storybook, man. It's a storybook day. Well, you know, 
it's been it's been a very tough year for both Peters and and myself, really our whole families, you know, from from losing mom to you know Kyle giving it everything he had. Kyle, if there's one thing I can say, just kind of being inside it a little bit, Kyle did not give up. No. He gave it everything he absolutely had. He courageously fought everything he had to fight, and he was just in incredible spirits the whole time. So, you know, we just really felt that, you know, going racing is not just an escape, but it was always, it's always been a setting where it's just, we felt some kind of normalcy where because it's just what we love to do so much no matter what it is that we're going through in life we know that our families are always behind us we love what we do and we just want to do it for as long as we can and it always makes us happy win or lose yeah and you know i want to bring up the fact that uh you know you mentioned kind of Working with Peter and Kyle and the the Fling organization, uh, we got to work together in in the Vegas race this year earlier on, uh, back which seems like a year ago now, but it was really only back in March. Um, how has that been educational for you to be on the other side of the glass, so to speak, when these races are getting run? Because I always I'm always interested in this in this perspective from racers who uh, either are will be promoting events or they will sometimes work on the inside of events in different capacities. So what's been the most enlightening part for you on those weekends when you're not in the driver's seat, but instead you're kind of event support and making sure things are working right? Well, that's a great question, first of all. So just in general, being on the other side of it, it gives you a whole new appreciation of all the moving parts, as Peter says, and just everything that goes into making an event happen. So essentially the racers show up, do whatever they need to do as far as like filling out tech cards and, you know, preparing their program to go racing for the weekend from pulling into the staging lanes, making the run, getting their time slip and being informed of what's going on. There's just so much of that, that for so many years, I felt like I took for granted and just having the opportunity to be on the other side of it. And there's nobody else that I would rather be working with. Just at Vegas in Galat, getting to work with, you know, Peter, Emily, my sister, Lala, and, you know, Kyle being in Vegas and, you know, working from home at Galat. I couldn't picture working with a better group of people and getting to announce with, you know, Peter, you, Nate Hershey, Mike Ames, just the whole announcing crew. Looking at it from the announcer standpoint, at Las Vegas, Peter asked me to be on the mic, and I said, you know, I've never really been on the mic before, so I was a little bit nervous, and that was the other reason why um, I was constantly in your ear asking you all these questions, and you were probably <laughs> thinking, man, what? <laughs> that was great, so, man. You did a great job. So, so lo long story short there, just – being in the announcer seat, watching the screen as the race is going down, watching the closing rate between the two cars on the track, you literally just picture being in the seat of each driver's position 
and watching how the numbers go down, there's just so much going through your mind at that moment. It just brings up a much higher level of intensity because you see every little thing that's going on inside the race, not only simultaneously, but every aspect that even the drivers don't know are happening before they happen. Yeah, it is. That's a great point. And, you know, it, it doubles down, like you said, as a racer and, and someone that's that's been so successful, you know, in this form of competition, uh, that's an element of it that's, that's even intriguing to me because I see the numbers and I've seen enough numbers to kind of uh, have a generalized idea of what's going to happen or what is happening in front of me, but you've actually lived it so often that uh, it's it's got to be kind of like opening uh, opening Pandora's box a little bit to actually see that time slip begin to manifest itself live real time right in front of you. <laughs> Absolutely. And you think about how the races manifest themselves just pair by pair. And these drivers get on, you know, you're seeing, you know, one pair, it'll be an eight pack to a 10 pack. And then a round later, it won't be uncommon <laughs> to see a four pack to a five pack type races. And, you know, it's just it's really incredible just to see all these racers that are just at the top of their game. And some of them that do it for a living, just giving it everything they got, you know, leaving it all out there on the track and to be behind the scenes of that. It's, um, it's a testament to where our sport is going and hopefully it's going a long way in the future. And, I just really look forward to watching that unfold. You and me, you and me both, and uh, you know, you're one of the guys that um, you're one of the guys that is helping to drive it forward. Your performances are are very fun to watch. You uh, approach this with such a fun, family based, professional attitude, and I just want to once again congratulate you on your performance in Sonoma. Uh, it certainly wasn't unexpected because you have done this multiple times now nearly a half dozen national event wins but when we watch a driver like you get on a run like you went on over the course of eliminations in Sonoma it is astonishing to anybody that understands drag racing to watch what a guy like you can do with the right tools to do the job and with the right mindset and the right approach it really is fun and again congratulations and thanks so much for uh, spending some time with us today. Well, thank you for your time, Brian. I look forward to work continuing to work with you at the Flings, and um, I hope you and your family are well, and uh, it's been a great time. Thank you. Amen to that. Marco Perry Valaris, your Sonoma Super Comp winner. And with that, we've come to the end of another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. Two great conversations, especially with Marco Perry Valaris, really getting into the mind of a very, very hardcore, very, very talented sportsman drag racer and a guy that has a very long and bright future ahead of him in the sport of NHRA drag racing. Five national event wins for Marco so far, and he is by no means even close to being done. And if he's able to string together another couple of Sundays like he did uh, in Sonoma over the course of this year. He may double his win count by the time the year's out. Thanks so much for listening. Can't wait to see you at Pomona this weekend. Get your tickets on NHRA.com. Night qualifying Friday and Saturday. Eliminations to be run starting at 10 a.m. Sunday morning. And if you can't be with us at the racetrack, remember... 
We're on FS1 Saturday for qualifying, then Sunday morning for qualifying at 10 a.m. Eastern on FS1, and then at 4 p.m. Eastern, you're going to switch over to your local Fox affiliate, same channel you watch The Simpsons on or Family Guy or the NFL. That's the channel you're going to watch Eliminations on as we are on the national network at Pomona on Sunday. Make sure you tune in for this race because it is going to be it is going to be wacky. Qualifying should be ridiculously fast. First round should be ridiculously fast. And by the time we get to Sunday afternoon, it'll be a blazing 90-plus degrees, and the racetrack will be very, very, very warm. Can't wait to see who's able to hoist the Wally. This will be a memorable one for all the winners. Stock Eliminator all the way on up to top fuel. As always, thanks for listening to the NHRA Insider Podcast. We'll be back next week with Pomona winners, Pomona stories, and a wrap-up of the NHRA Western Swing. 